This is Strange Assembly episode 198, Seafall Revisited. This is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, facebook.com slash strangeassembly. You can download the podcast on our website or subscribe to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or other pod-catching services. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, where we are, unsurprisingly, Strange Assembly. I'm Chris Stevenson, and I'm here today with just me. So this episode is going to be unusual in two ways. First, it's just me. And second, I'm going to talk entirely about a game that we already spent an entire episode talking about. Remember back in early September, Matt and I recorded an episode with our initial impressions of Seafall after the prologue in about five games. And I am here to give, I guess, our closing thoughts on Seafall, because we are done with our campaign. We did not play to the end, but we are done with our campaign. So, I guess two prefatory notes. First, there's going to be mild spoilers in here. I'm not going to do anything major, but I don't think it's possible to talk about it without saying anything whatsoever that even slightly hints at what will happen over the course of the legacy campaign. So, if you want to be completely pristine in that, uh, you can take a pass on this. The other thing is that if you want to hear a more thorough discussion of Seafall, go back and check out episode 194. That's where Matt and I talked about it the first place. This is not going to cover a broad overview of Seafall, and it's not really going to be an effort to talk about all the ups and downs of Seafall, because we really already did that in episode 194. What this is really is sort of what happened between 194 and now, and and why we're done. So it's, I suspect, going to be a bit of a downer of an episode. But I, I did want to come back in and touch base about Seafall again. So... The history of, of what happened with this is, like I said, at, at the beginning of September, we recorded that episode, 184, after five games. And it is now the end of October. And we didn't just end our Seafall campaign, but we ended our Seafall campaign maybe a week ago. We decided it was done with finality. And despite that... We only had one real additional session of Seafall, which is kind of telling. Uh, as a factual matter, that there were five of us, a five-player game, and the two of us who were on episode 194, Matt and I, were, it turns out, definitely the two most positive on the game. Matt being number one, me being number two. And so our ultimate recommendation at that point was that it was still worth trying out. Obviously, uh, our compatriots did not agree. So, where we finally ended up was one player just saying, you know, I've had enough. And then a second player saying, well, 
if if the original group is done, then I'm not having any fun either. So let's just be done. And then the third player went that way as well. So there was an awful lot of mm, people not having fun and the campaign only continuing because it was this legacy campaign and because we were uh, supposed to try to finish it and nobody wanted to be the one who just potentially killed it for the the group. But it, it did end, and so when I talk here, I, I try to speak on behalf of all of the people in our group, including the ones who are not on this show, because they're the ones who have not appeared on the podcast and talked about Seafall are the ones who had the most problem with it. And I think that the core issue with the game came down to that the central gameplay was just too slow and got repetitive. That the changes that happened because of the legacy mechanics were the only thing that really worked to try to keep it lively enough, and that obviously, at least for our group, that did not happen. You have a lot of ability to spend a lot of time in Seafall trying to maximize exactly what your plays are going to be, and and for sometimes turns and turns in advance, because for the most part, your turn is move and do something, or do something and move. Each guild has three actions. You get to take two of them. Only one of them is moving. But usually, you're not in a position to do both of the non-moving actions. And so you end up with a lot of trying to very carefully plan out your moves so that your ship can end up somewhere useful. But it takes some real effort to get a lot extra out of it. There's this significant pick-up-and-deliver aspect in the mechanisms, but when you get down to what the pick-up-and-deliver does, you know, I can... Moving with the Soldier's Guild, which lets you move and tax, that's three coins. Move, tax, three coins. Move, tax, three coins. If you are going to do the sale, you know, you move, you buy goods. And let's say you just, you do the most straightforward thing. You move, you buy goods, you pay six, you buy two. You move, you sell them, and you net 12. Well, either way, you just spent two full turns netting six coins. And with the Soldier's Guild, you are not tethered to where you were going with those movements, unlike with the markets, where you probably are going back to your province, depending on how things worked out with how your islands went out on the board. Now, there are ways that you can finagle more out of that. You can have advisors that let you modify the prices for things, although those sorts of advisors seem to pale, pale in overall utility to things like advisors that increased your sale or advisors that gave you lots of exploration dice or on the rare occasions when we actually wanted to raid advisors that gave you massive additional numbers of, of raid dice usually to try to hit some single unique target for a milestone and so it was just a lot of work for very incremental gains 
with the trading. And if you did not get everything done with your planning of series of picking things up and because if you're if you're using the advisors to get more out of trading than you just would from taxing, you now have a more complicated dependent scheme where you have to get goods from this island and that island and then move your ships to separate places. And so you're buying more than two at once and selling more than two at once, and that's going to let you get the money up. You know, beyond that, the the straightforward best use of trading is really buying something and then not selling it, but using it to build something later on. But all of that had some problems that, that people had because the board ended up remaining much more constrained than we thought it would. As we developed the board out, we had really thought that there was going to come a point where you were able to do a broader variety of actions more freely out there in the ocean. And that didn't happen. You were always limited to the narrow, or almost always limited to the very narrow selling or repair opportunities. There was nothing except getting an advisor that increased your your, your sale that let you really move out from your province past the initial stages of islands more quickly. If you wanted to try to accomplish something on your way out more than just sale tax, sale tax, you were very constrained in where you went because my copy of Seafall may have the islands in a completely different place than your copy of Seafall, but my copy of Seafall always has the islands in the same place. And so in our games, you would see just repeatedly people taking the same exact openings multiple games in a row because that was really the way that you could get from island to island and move out and kind of accomplish something on the way out, especially depending on which islands you were getting particular benefits from. And so we had a couple of players vociferously complain about the upgrades not lasting from game to game, something that honestly would break the game, I think, if it did, to to have it start up like that, the way that it's configured. I think, and I know there's a danger in in trying to sort of psychoanalyze someone else's criticism and go at what their quote-unquote real problem was, but I, I think that those complaints really started coming up as our openings got more and more samey, and that that sameness of the openings was the the sort of central issue. So uh, after we decided that we were done, after what would have been maybe halfway through a campaign, uh, we we wrapped it up and we did go ahead and open the rest of the boxes because it, Matt didn't. Matt wasn't there. I think with the exception of maybe Matt, there's just, we did not, none of the rest of us thought that there was any chance we were ever going to try a campaign of this again. And so we opened up the the rest of it. What little was left, it turned out. And it really... The game looked like it was not going to change much. And 
the stuff that was added in was not did not seem to us like it would be super interesting. Our our general consensus, not general, the universal consensus after having finished this up of those who looked at it was that we were glad that we had cut it off. That what was going to be happening down the line was not going to be exciting for us or change what had happened for us. Uh, you also had even more instances of of rules not in the rule book and rules and and things that were going on that we really were not sure exactly how they would work, which seemed to be a consistent problem throughout the campaign is new things would get added in and it would be unclear how some of these different unique aspects that were revealed as you went through the game actually precisely worked within the rules. How rating and enmity worked was one thing that just over and over again was an issue, but it, it kind of went beyond that. We had one player who was pretty irritated that there were rules that were not in the rule book. I did not share his level of irritation, but I have to agree that it's kind of problematic that there are rules in the captain's book that don't appear anywhere else. You read an entry and it says, this is a rule change that's now in effect for the campaign. And we solved that problem by literally just handwriting into the rule book what the rule change was, but I wish they could have done something different about that. I, I have some other complaints about some of the things that we had encountered and some of the things that we read on, but I, I don't know how to articulate those complaints without really really getting into the spoiler sorts of material. So, that, that's all that I wanted to say about the substance of the game. I feel a little bit bad about having an entire episode that amounts to being a list of things that we had problems with about Seafall, we would normally not do something like this where there is an episode that is just about some problems with one particular game. But again, I, I felt we had to come back and touch base with Seafall and follow up on our, our prior episode where we had concluded with a tentative plus recommendation to try the game out. And also because this was by a wide margin, my most anticipated game of the year, and a lot of people's most anticipated games of the year, and so it's it's kind of unfortunate in in, in a way that you know if if this was not a game that had such hype and such expect expectation, it would not be as worthy of commentary. But when it comes down to it, we have to say that as a game that requires you to play it 15 or so times. Uh, we ultimately cannot recommend Seafall. Our ultimate conclusion, and we suspect many people's ultimate conclusion, will be that we would just have more fun if we played other games 15 times or more, because games of Seafall are not short. 
rather than go through Seafall. As much as there is some nifty uh, emergent storyline through the Captain's Book and and exploring remained our our very favorite thing about it. Although it, I mean, it, it's there's there's also definitely a lot of dice for a game that requires such precise Euro planning out turns and turns in advance. Anyhow, so that closes the door on Seafall for us, and uh, we'll be back next time and hopefully talk about something a little bit more upbeat. But for now, you've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can download more episodes of the podcast there, or you can subscribe on our website or on iTunes. We'd always appreciate it if you leave us a rating or review on iTunes. That helps more people discover the show. You can check us out at the usual social media spots. We are at Strange Assembly on Twitter or Facebook.com slash Strange Assembly. I always like to hear from our listeners and readers, so you can email me. I'm Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. <laughs>